welcome back to Then Again. I am Marie Bartlett, and I am the director of the Aiden May Ivester Education Center here at the Northeast Georgia History Center. And today, our guest is Ashley Oates, Education Coordinator at the TRR Cobb House, located in Athens, Georgia. And we'll be talking about the physical structure of the house, as well as the Cobb family and those enslaved who lived there. Thank you so much for being with us today, Ashley. Nice to meet you. So let's begin with the physical structure of the house as that is what guests first see when they walk up to the museum. So the house is a unique shape and also a unique color that one does not generally see on early to mid 1800s homes. So could you tell us a little bit about the architectural design and also the color choice? Yes. So the house was originally a plantation plane style house. There were four rooms upstairs, four rooms downstairs. And then after Tom and Marion received the house as a wedding present from her father, Joseph Henry Lumpkin, who conveniently lived right next door, the house became Greek Revival style with the additions of the dining room in the back, and then those two octagonal wings in the front, and then also a new front porch with those Doric columns. So that is ultimately what makes it the, the Greek Revival style. We think that Tom got the idea for the octagon-shaped rooms from visiting his brother Hal at the old governor's mansion in Milledgeville, where there's conveniently an octagon-shaped office. And so we believe that that's how the octagons came to be. The house was moved to Stone Mountain in 1985. It sat there for about 20 years under tarps. And then the house was brought back to Athens, about two blocks away from its original location. As far as the color goes, we had a paint for analysis sample done, which included 188 samples taken microscopically and chemically. We were able to find the exact shade that it was when the cops lived here, which was a shade called Rosa. And it was an expensive shade, and it was a way of showing wealth without actually saying that they had money, because that would be tacky. <laughs> gotta, gotta do it subtly, right? Yes. Yes, but I think it's one of the only, like, pink houses that I have seen that is of a historic home. A lot of times we think of historic homes and they're like white or blue or brown or something that's very subtle, but the, the pink is very distinct. Yes. And more of them probably were these shades. We just haven't done the paint core analysis samples on those houses. It's very much kind of like the the Greek and Roman statues that everyone thinks as this beautiful, just, you know, plain white. It's like, but no, they have so much color. Same yes. thing Greek Revival style houses. Exactly. <laughs> so now let's turn our attention to T.R.R. Cobb or Thomas Reed's Roots Cobb, as is his full name. And of course, that is for whom the house museum is named. And he is considered one of Athens' first citizens, but he is also quite a controversial figure. So can you tell us a little bit more about him? So he was a lawyer, an author, an educator, a slave owner, and a military leader. And he contributed to a lot to the history of Athens, to Georgia, and the South in his brief career during the mid-1800s. He was 39 years old when he died, so he covered a lot in a short period of time. He also co-founded the Lumpkin Law School with his father-in-law. It's named after his father-in-law. And Joseph Henry Lincoln had served on the state Supreme Court justice at that time. Tom also is the one who codified Georgia law, and he wrote the only legal defense of slavery, which was continued to be used for property law for decades after emancipation. And he had as many as 28 slaves at one time. 
He was also the chief author of the Confederate Constitution. He formed a regiment known as Cops Legion and was eventually promoted to Brigadier General before his death at the Battle of Fredericksburg in Virginia in 1862. And his enslaved body servant, Jesse, is the one who brought Tom's body back to Athens before the burial at Oconee Hill Cemetery. Now, can you tell us a little bit more about TRR Cobb's family and their relationships? And now, if anyone has ever gone to Athens or just anywhere around the state of Georgia, the name Cobb pops up a lot, as does the name Lumpkin, which is the family he married into. So, of course, yeah. we're not going to get to every single family member and every single relationship that he had. But what about the people that lived in the house with him, like his his wife and his children? Uh, so his wife is Marion Lumpkin Cobb or Marion McHenry Lumpkin Cobb. And she mainly ran the house and everything inside of it. They had six children together, two boys that both passed away before the age of two. And then four daughters. Lucy is the oldest and Tom's favorite. How we know she was his favorite, I'm not entirely sure, certain still, but there's a lot more related to Lucy than any of the other daughters in the house. There also was Sally Cobb. Sally married Henry Jackson, who was a cousin of the family. And uh, she married him in the parlor in this house. Then Callie, their third daughter, married Augustus Longstreet Hole, who was a historian of Athens and a founder of the Athens Historical Society, and then also served on various school boards in Athens, UGA, and the Lucy Cobb Institute. And then Marion, the youngest daughter, better known as Bertie Cobb, even after her marriage to Hope Smith. Hope Smith went on to be Secretary of the Interior under Grover Cleveland. Then he was a Georgia governor. And then he also was a United States Senator. And I'll stop there, but we have even more details about all of those family members. Now, you had mentioned, I believe, his brother earlier, who was he the governor of Georgia? Because, you know, you mentioned um, the Georgia Governor Mansion in Milledgeville that had the octagon room. So can you tell us a little bit about his brother? Because he sounds interesting if he was a whole governor of Georgia. <laughs> Yes, governor is just one of his many political jobs. Powell was also Speaker of the House of Representatives during the Compromise of 1850. Then he was governor of Georgia. Then he was Secretary of Treasury under President Buchanan. And he had actually hoped to run for president in 1860, but he had angered too many people during the Compromise of 1850 to be a popular candidate. He also became a general in the Confederate Army and was eventually pardoned before his death in 1868. And then Howell's wife, Mary Ann Lamar, not to be confused with Tom's wife, Mary Ann, she was one of the wealthiest women in Georgia when they married. And together, along with her brother, John B. Lamar, who ended up handling all of their business matters while Howell was working in government, they owned at least seven plantations and over 700 enslaved people. That is a lot. It is a lot. Wow. One does not generally think of one person owning so many plantations and enslaved people who, of course, had to work those plantations. Correct. We're learning more and more about those seven plantations every day. Yes. And that just shows how wealthy and part of the Georgia elite that they were. Yes. 
So the, this, the fam, the Hobb family seems to be incredibly well connected and incredibly wealthy, and very much a part of the secession movement. Now, now, as I was researching for this podcast, it seemed like T.R.R. Cobb, whose house you run the museum in, he was not always a proponent of secession necessarily, but then became like an incredibly big proponent of secession. Was there like a a moment where he was like, this is why I want to, you know, turn from supporting a union to seceding? Both he and Hal were committed to keeping the union together. That's part of why Hal was so involved in the, the Compromise of 1850, because they didn't want the country to separate. I don't know exactly what the turning point was, but it has something to do with the election of 1860, especially with Lincoln's involvement. The, the letters that we've been reading from the early to mid-1860s show just incredible frustration with where the election is going and more and more like they don't want to be a part of it anymore. So it's it's related to the election of 1860. Okay. So as you had mentioned in some of your answers, it seems that Cobb was also a very large proponent of education and was involved with the University of Georgia, but also with the Lucy Cobb Institute named after his daughter. So can you tell us a little bit more about the founding of the Lucy Cobb Institute itself and how important or influential that was in Athens at the time? Yes. So someone who wrote, who called themselves a mother uh, wrote a letter to the editor of the newspaper that Tom just conveniently read every single morning, stating that Athens needed a higher education school for girls to attend. And because Tom happened to read this article, he started to fundraise for it. And Tom was occasionally very sneaky about how he would fundraise. And so sometimes he would sign people up for donations without asking them and then publish that list of donors in the newspaper. So everyone would know how much they were expected to donate. Since then, it has come out that his sister, Laura Cobb Rutherford, happened to know Tom's habit of reading that newspaper every day and is the one who actually wrote that letter to the editor. And two of her daughters not only attended the school, but also became principals of the Lucy Cobb Institute before it closed in the early 1930s. Laura's husband, Williams Rutherford, was a math professor at UGA. So again, very involved in education. And then Lucy Cobb, Tom's daughter, was supposed to be one of the first students to attend. And she had actually wanted to be a teacher, but she passed away of scarlet fever before the school opened. Instead, they decided to name the school after her. And I believe the students who would have been in her class all received a lock of her hair as a graduation present. That is an interesting present. Yes. Of course, today we don't really do the, the hair of giving and receiving of hair. But in the Victorian times, it seems like that was a whole phenomenon in which people made hair art and had hair jewelry and... Yeah. Very common. Yes. Tradition that we did not carry on. <laughs> I'm very glad that we did not continue that tradition. Now, according to your website, the TRR Cobb House Museum is doing a lot of research into the enslaved people that TRR Cobb owned. And at the time of his death in 1862, 
there were 25 enslaved people listed as his property. So can you tell us more about the research that you've been doing into the lives of these enslaved individuals and what has that research revealed? And of course, I'm sure it has revealed incredible loads of information, but we do have a time limit on this podcast. So if you could just give us like a, an introduction to that. And then of course, if anyone wants to learn more, they can of course visit your museum. Absolutely. Please come visit. We're happy to talk about this research. So former interns going back at least 10 years probably have helped us dig deep into the family letters, which believe it or not, actually contain a lot of information about the enslaved people. And they were able to uncover various bits of information about them and their lives. And were able to create short biographies for us for the enslaved that we know were in this house. We've also been working on further researching what happened to those enslaved people after emancipation and also the lives of the other enslaved people who were owned by other Cobb family members because we know that they were occasionally borrowed throughout the families. And so we thought it was important to research the, the lives of the enslaved who may not have necessarily been here, but could potentially have been here for at least a couple of days. One of those former interns, Laura Nelson, actually teamed up with Randy Reed and Christopher Watton to continue to look at the lives of the enslaved. But this time they focused on Hal and Mary Ann Cobb, again, those 700 enslaved people that we just uncovered. And so they actually just published a book called Seen Unseen that came out last year. And it's been incredibly useful to us in expanding our knowledge of the enslaved people that belong to them but also especially the information about Aggie Mills, who we know is one of the, the enslaved people who was borrowed to work as a nursemaid here in this household on occasion. And then Aggie, after emancipation, and then also after the death of her husband, Isaac, actually worked for Bertie Cobb Smith uh, while Hope Smith was serving as Secretary of the Interior because she had served the same role for Marianne when Hal was serving his various roles in D.C., she was able to provide the knowledge of DC that, that Bernie did not have. Our research is expanding almost daily at this point. Each new find creates several new research points for us. We've also been working on expanding the genealogy of some of the enslaved after emancipation, as well as digging in deep into those letters and other documents to try and find out more. Just last year, I was able to purchase one of John B. Lamar's plantation logbooks at an auction and that is actually where we found the names of an estimated 700 enslaved people, which also includes what plantation they were located at, how much cloth they were given for clothing, among other things. Since locating that book, it's actually added to Randy and Laura and Christopher's research and let us all down new paths. We're currently trying to find more information through various overseers' letters now that we know the names of the enslaved and also the books also include some of the names of the, the overseers as well. So we're able to track down who everybody is thanks to that. And then also a professor in Southwest Georgia actually sent us a copy of a map of two of the plantations in Sumter County. And as we looked at it further, Williams Rutherford and his son were actually the ones to do the surveying of that plantation in December of 1865. So after the war is over. So again, the family just keeps getting involved in very wild ways that we were not expecting. 
we are continuing this research and we are having a website dedicated to all of it in the foreseeable future. Now, were you also talking about possibly doing an exhibit at the museum? Yes. So we very much hope to have it opened by the end of this year, if not early next year. Again, all of this research keeps creating new paths for us. And so trying to find a manageable way to talk about it in a, a single space has been more overwhelming than expected in good ways. But we very much hope to have that open very, very soon, along with an exhibit about African-American education in Athens, with the connection between the two exhibits being Aggie Mills and her husband, Isaac, who actually helped fundraise for the Knox Institute. Well, that sounds like an incredibly interesting exhibit, both of them, and incredibly important stories that relate to the Athens community as well. Absolutely. So if someone did want to come and visit your museum or these exhibits once they do eventually open, uh, how could someone do that? We are currently open Tuesday through Friday, 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. Starting next year, there's a chance we may reopen on Saturdays from the same hours. We're still playing all of those hours by, by ear for next year. If you have a group larger than 10, please contact us. We're more than happy to give group tours. Normally, it is a self-guided tour, though, of the house. And of course, if anyone has questions for us, we are happy to answer them for you. Is there anything that you wish you had gotten to say that you had planned or, you know, any questions that you wish I had asked you that I hadn't? I think we covered everything that I had hoped to get out. <laughs> All right, fantastic. Well, thank you so much for coming onto our podcast then again and talking with us today. I have gotten to visit the TRR Cobb House a couple of times while studying at the University of Georgia and have found it to be an incredibly fascinating place that is full of wonderful artifacts and information. Uh, so I hope everyone else gets a chance to visit as well. Thank you so much for having me. Then Again is a production of the Cottrell Digital Studio at the Northeast Georgia History Center. Be sure to subscribe and leave us a review. It really helps other people discover the show. There are a few great ways to support the History Center. Make a donation online by clicking the donate button on our website at www.negahc.org. Become a digital member to receive exclusive invites to members-only live streams every Friday at 2 p.m. Eastern. And you can register on our membership page at www.negahc.org. We also have an online gift shop with lots of great items for all ages. Use promo code THENAGAIN for 15% off your online order. Valid on anything except memberships and handmade items. We'll see you next week for another episode of Then Again. Thanks, y'all.